skeletons and shivers down your spine. Shrieking skulls will shock your soul. Hey there, welcome to Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do, that we do. This is our third week of Spoopy Month, so we're going to jump right into yet another spoopy movie. But before we do that, we have a special guest. Yes, we do. So this is a podcast that I like to listen to quite often because not only are uh, this husband and wife duo, although we only have half of them today, unfortunately, they are not only big musical theater nerds, just like me, but they are also a hubby and wifey duo, just like me and Scott. I'd like to introduce you guys to Jeff from the End Almost Starring podcast. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Hello, so happy to be here. Yes, we're sorry Amy Jo couldn't join us at the last minute. I was really looking forward to meeting her. Uh, I know, the, the synergy, two husband and wife duo podcasts combined would have been special. She she sends her apologies. My amazing spouse, Amy Jo Jackson, could not be here. I am here, however. I'm Jeff Ronan uh, from the podcast and almost starring, which your little nutshell logline is we are a casting podcast where each week we take a film and we break down all the actors who auditioned or were discussed by casting and how that potentially could have wildly shaped the film for better or for worse. Uh, We are also a big fan of the old spoopy October month. So we right now have Interview with the Vampire, An American Psycho out, uh, and on our Patreon, Adam's Family Values, but that's that's us and that's me. And it's uh, so lovely to be here to chat about this wonderfully ridiculous film. From what I understand, when we talked earlier also, you had seen the movie, Jeff, and Amy Jo had never seen the movie. So I was looking forward to having that dichotomy of like, hubby has seen it, wifey has not. But what I love about your guys' energy is, like I said, you both are musical theater nerds and we only have half of that on this show. <laughs> So, like, the little taste of musical nerd fandom that you get listening to our show, you get it, like, full force over there. I love it. <laughs> very much so. Very much. I'm, you know, I, I carry the banner, but Amy Jo is really leading the charge with the musical theater references. We've covered Into the Woods and Phantom of the Opera uh, and a variety of movie musicals. But she was fully thinking, wondering why no one had tried to adapt Lost Boys into a musical. So that really would have been part of the conversation. (laughs) It's kind of ripe for that. Yeah. If you think about it. (laughs) Well, part of it is a music video, for God's sake. A lot of it does come off like a music video. (laughs) We'll talk about that. (laughs) Um, So, Scott. What movie did you introduce me to today? Well, I introduced you to Joel Schumacher's oh God. <laughs> The Lost Boys. And it's not about boys being lost in the woods. It's about vampires. Ah! <laughs> well, first of all, since you mentioned Phantom of the Opera, that movie would never have existed without this movie. Yeah. <laughs> because literally, Joel Schumacher, his work in this movie was noticed by Andrew Lloyd Webber, who obviously was the, the brains behind Phantom of the Opera, the heart behind Phantom of the Opera. And he saw this movie, he was like, hey, I like what that Joel <laughs> Schumacher guy's doing. Let's have him direct Phantom of the Opera with Gerard Butler. That'll work out great. Uh, what's crazy about that, though, is that 
A, that Andrew Lloyd Webber just liked Joel Schumacher's use of music in this film. That's what the big draw was, which I get, I think is, you. that's why it is like, well, this honestly probably could be a musical, but that it was around the time this film came out. It was the late 80s that Andrew Lloyd Webber was like, this is the guy who should do Phantom. And then it just took until 2004 to get that movie made. So it's like Andrew Lloyd Webber saw Batman Forever Batman and Robin and was like don't care this is still the guy well to be fair the man wrote an entire musical about cats this is very true just talking cats very true <laughs> dancing cats angelical cats Lost Boys musical would be a lot better than the cats movie jeez Louise so um it not only was directed by Joel Schumacher it was also uh, executive produced by Richard Donner, who we have discussed in the past, mainly in regards to the original Superman films. So we're in for quite a uh, theatrical treat, a very over-the-top treat. <laughs> well, the thing about Schumacher is I feel like this movie has gotten such a cult following that it let him kind of coast for quite a long time before people were like questioning, like, do we actually think Joel Schumacher is a good director? Yeah, because I never saw a Time to Kill because that was him, right? Because I think that that was kind of whether or not it was like honored by any kind of awards. It seemed like that kind of film, like this is a prestige movie. This isn't Lost Boys and Flatliners and the other like earlier Schumacher fix. And then the didn't he do uh, Saint Elmo's Fire? He's also yes, doing, like, he some did say Elmo's Fire. Pack films. It's a weird, weird filmography. Holy crap! Yeah, I just googled that. A Time to Kill was Joe Schumacher. That's insanity. That seems so not his thing. He had a phase where everyone was like, "Oh yeah, we like Joel Schumacher," and then it just became bad movie. Okay, everyone's got a bad movie. Another bad movie. Uh-uh. Another bad movie. Um. Well, because saying Elmo's Fire, you can kind of fit into like this, the same like realm or box as Lost Boys because there are hot people with teen angst. So it's like, I mean, the whole purpose of him making this movie is because vampires are hot. That he literally was quoted as saying that, like, I wanted to make a movie about hot vampires. He was ahead of his time before Twilight. There was Lost Boys. <laughs> well, the other thing is, this movie inspired something of what vampires became in present-day media. Like, there's a whole game called uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodline, which is, they're like, they're different types of vampires, and a whole group of them are inspired by, like, the rebellious youth of vampires in this movie. Right. It's very Warriors, which is another movie we talked about uh earlier this season but with vampires kind of yes <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised if that was one of the gangs in the warriors was just a secret gang of vampires yeah and they're called something really like obvious like the fangs or something like just so like oh are you trying to and then they wear like the plastic like party city vampire teeth yeah yeah oh how edgy anyway <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. our friend antonio who did that episode with us is not gonna be happy that i'm making fun of the warriors but that's okay it's fine um this movie had three writers as well that did kind of an assortment of things throughout their careers but what i really want to talk about the score the score was uh thomas newman who's done like a million things and he's a great composer but the specific like combination of the orchestra 
with organs and like the children singing there is like a children's choir throughout this whole movie that is like <laughs> it's sending a very strong message of feel sad for vampire children <laughs> for they are victims just like you it's like okay we get it but the main thing everyone remembers from this is people are strange when you're a stranger oh well yeah the the cover of of course the Dora song people are strange done by Echo and the Bunny Men. That is a band name if I ever heard one. Like, I, I cannot. <laughs> when you're strange, faces come out of the rain. When you're strange. But we also, we can't, when talking about the music, yes, if people are strange. And the Cry Sister with the youth chorus going, Thou shalt not fall. That every time that came on, was both awesome and hilarious. But to me, above all of that is saxophone guy. This bodybuilder oh, saxophone sa okay. player. Yeah, someone has to explain the sax guy to me. The phenomenon, because I still don't understand it. <laughs> he was Tina Turner's saxophone guy for years, which is amazing to me. And that I can't believe he's not a professional wrestler that they are That's pretending is a saxophone player. Okay, the way Scott previously, because he was trying to like build me up to like this movie, right? But not give me spoilers or anything. But he told me about the sax guy, and I was like, just I was expecting him to be a character, but he's in the the one scene being the sax guy, and then it's never talked about again. And I'm like, is he a wrestler? Who is this guy? <laughs> like, he's just there. Why does this matter? Because it's just one of those things that has kind of just lived on. Like he's a meme just by himself. <laughs> So, Jeff, when was the first time you saw this movie? Because I know you saw this and Amy Jo hadn't. Yeah, I only saw this once before. Uh, I think during the pandemic. I think it was just, you know, as we all were trying to fill those days, it was going through, like, what movies have I not seen yet? It's a nice little easy breezy film. It moves and is such a wonderful period piece, like a time capsule. Like, the main things that Amy Jo wanted me to uh, say on her behalf her main thoughts are diane weist and the hair everyone's oh hair yeah i know you guys love diane weist i was like oh i gotta we gotta talk about <laughs> diane weist in this movie <laughs> we love that diane weist just wants to go on a date man. i felt so bad for her and i i like her yeah. from other things beforehand like the birdcage is like my uh, sure. before this the birdcage was my favorite movie of hers now i feel like this is my favorite performance of hers because i just felt bad it just like the lady just wants to go out to dinner and like have a nice evening like leave her be <laughs> she is trying to make it work with these two kids she's got to move back in with her crazy dad this house is full of all these like antlers and taxidermied animals like this is a nightmare this woman is trying to get by and all she wants is to be able to date her video store clerk boss. Is that so much to ask for? And apparently it is. I feel, yeah. We got to get her on like Tinder or something. If only, if only they had Tinder in the uh, 80, know, 87. in 1987. <laughs> we, we just got to hook her up with the sax guy. Now, no, hey, now we're talking. She can't handle the sax guy. No one can handle the sax guy. <laughs> no, 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 no. The sax guy can't handle the weast. Oh, shit. <laughs> So, yeah, I think we're ready to get into the nitty gritty. How about you, Scott? I'm ready. Are you ready, Jeff? Oh, I'm so ready. Let's get into that nitty and in that gritty and occasionally the shitty. 
Uh, that's a good one. There We're going to we... steal that. <laughs> so, yes, we start out with Kiefer Sutherland and his band of no good ne'er do wells fucking around on the merry go round. Or, as I like to call them, Kiefer Sutherland and all of the band members of Bon Jovi's band. <laughs> it literally is what it looked like. There was so much hair. These mullets are amazing. I was very happy to see Kiefer. But then I was like, oh, look at all this hair. It's everywhere. Well, Kiefer's not the only one we know this. We also know this uh, Alex Winter over there. Yes, Alex Winter played like one of the, the lackey vampires in this crew here. He, of course, was Bill of Bill and Ted. That's like two years after this movie. But uh, the head vampire, I guess, of this little teenage nasty vampire crew is, of course, Kiefer Sutherland. We talked about him before. We talked about him in Young Guns and Three Musketeers. I very much love young 80s Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> it's a really specific vibe, like between this and Stand By Me of him, like as a young little tough. Because uh, I've not seen Young Guns and I haven't seen that Three Musketeers. So there, I, I've got a big blank spot for Kiefer Sutherland roles. Uh, so this was fun to see again because he, he is... I kind of think of him as a boring actor or an actor that I don't really need to see in anything. I'm never like, oh man, Kiefer Sutherland is now in this movie. But he's got such a dynamic presence and I think he needed to keep this bleached blonde mullet. He should never have let it go. Drag it into 2022 because this look is amazing. I can't take my eyes off him. Yeah, somewhere between like his 80s roles where he... I guess kind of maybe like faded into the background for a while and then came back and did 24 for however many years on TV. Like somewhere in between there, the the mojo kind of faded away, possibly with his hair. I feel like the hair does a lot to aid with the specific key for mojo. But yes, our ne'er-do-wells get accosted by a security guard and told they need to leave. So they leave, but that security guard soon gets what's coming to him. I love all the Jaws vision that we do for all of the vampire flying because it is so much more effective than whatever kind of wire work they would have tried to do to show these vampires swooping in to uh, terrorize the security guard. And then in general, whenever they go back to just like these swooping uh, camera shots to be their POV, I found very effective. Well, not only that, but they keep the vampireism hidden for so long that when they finally do show them like kill everybody later on in the movie it's so much more like impactful not to jump ahead when Kiefer fucking bites the guy's bald head and like rips it off it's like what the fuck just happened yeah that head bite was specifically like we me and Amy Joe both were like oh how is that effective yeah it's like one of the only like gory moments you really see until the very end <laughs> But even then, it doesn't get, like, crazy gory. True. But we quickly get introduced to our main family here. Our main family, Diane Weiss, the mom. Lucy. Corey Haim, the youngest son. Sam. And Jason Patrick, our main character. Who's just, like, general hot guy. I feel like no one says, oh, Jason Patrick, he's such a good actor. I loved him in Speed 2. Like, no one has said that ever in life. So, but, I mean, he's attractive. Look, Jason Patrick has done good work. His career never became 
much and speed two kind of really tanked it. But you go back to like, I think only the year after this or so, there's this uh, really small like thriller or drama, kind of a neo-noir called After Dark, My Sweet with him and Bruce Dern that he's amazing in. So he has given good performances. Me and Amy Joe were discussing this while watching. He is a very interesting presence, but he's, he's certainly not good in Speed 2. I will give you that. <laughs> <laughs> I liked him in this movie. I don't think there was anyone that I thought was like terrible in this movie. What kind of bums me out about the relationship between Michael and Sam, because it seems to be kind of like the core of the movie, the the heart of it. But I just wish that there was more to that relationship to kind of make us more invested in them. Yeah. Because obviously, spoiler alert, Michael turns into a vampire. So the whole movie essentially becomes like Sam trying to save his brother and Michael trying to save himself and his little love interest, which we'll fucking talk about. But <laughs> like, I just wish that their bond was more pronounced. Oddly enough, <laughs> I wish their relationship was more like the relationship between Max and Danny and Hocus Pocus. Yeah, it's uh, I, I, I kind of did love their relationship because I can understand wanting it to either feel a little more antagonistic from the start, maybe, or a little more like they're real close. But I found I found like a I thought it was a good balance. It felt like siblings. I love there's a little moment where uh, and it's Corey Haim as Sam, who I find is so good in this. There's like a little moment where they kind of are chat talking him and Michael and he kind of rests. They rest their heads against each other. They kind of like bonk head slightly in like such a sweet little moment yeah but then later just thinking of when michael becomes a vampire and sam what is his line he's like my own brother like a shit sucking vampire or something oh yeah i wrote that one down (laughs) it was a good line and it is like yeah this would be terrifying in real life but also that is what a little a little shitty kid would be would be like oh great my brother's a fucking vampire you stupid piece of shit that i read is so real uh, and and helped sell their sibling relationship to me in a way that because this movie is so short everything is being done in like little snippets like you don't get a lot of time to sell any of these relationships because it's a big cast too yeah that's the thing i think like i liked their relationship that's why i kind of wanted more of them but i feel like yeah it it kind of does get drowned out because there's so many people there's the the love interest and then there's the you know the mom and her little boyfriend and then the uh the freaking vampire guys and david and the, there's a freaking husky in this movie that gets a lot of screen time which i'm not mad about because i love the husky in this movie oh and well, then you gotta have crazy grandpa of yeah, course the crazy grandpa Oh my god. Okay, can we let's talk about the grandpa. It's a great intro to the grandpa. So the grandpa <laughs> is uh he's played by uh Bernard Hughes and I immediately recognized him as I think like the head priest in Sister yes. Act 2. And I was like, "Oh, hi." <laughs> but he's fucking insane. He's like a taxidermist and he drinks nothing but root beer and he's just a weird silly guy and he does a lot of weird silly things throughout the movie. And I, I guess the, I feel like throughout the movie, he's just supposed to be wacky grandpa comedic effect until like the very end of the movie when he ends up, spoiler alert, saving the freaking day, which I kind of predicted was going to happen in a weird way. Because at one point, uh, grandpa is outside and he's like hammering a fence post into the ground and it's pointed 
almost like a stake, like a wooden stake that you would stab a vampire with. And I'm like, hmm, that looks suspiciously like a wooden stake. I I feel like that's going to come back because why would you have a fence post that looks like that? And sure enough, at the end of the movie, he like barrels in with his fucking weird truck that makes funny horn noises with the freaking stake at the end of it. I'm like, ah, I see. (laughs) I got it. Well, as you said, there is a lot to get to. Moving around. So our first night in Santa Clara, we got to go around town. The brothers are hanging out there at the concert with the saxophone guy. Oh, the saxophone guy. <laughs> Michael notices Star over yonder. <laughs> uh, played by Jamie Gertz. Yeah, it's very typical of like an 80s movie or really like a lot of movies with romance where like they catch eyes across the room. And they're immediately in love. And it's like, okay, like maybe halfway through this movie, after Michael has, of course, been turned into a vampire, Jamie Gertz goes up to him and she's like, I care about you so much. And I I finished the sentiment saying like, oh, yes, I met you literally yesterday and you were so hot and I love you so much. It's like, okay, this is so weird. Like, why? And it's like, it's clear that she's going to like lure him in and that's how he's going to become a vampire. So then after all of that happens, he still is like cool and like wants to help her. It's like she put you into the situation knowing full well what was going to happen. But you just want to help her because she pretty. Well, you know, she 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 says it's like, don't drink it. It's blood. (laughs) She's like trying. Well, well, and I wonder how much is she like under David's control at all? Like We don't really get into that, but it seems because she says that she was supposed to bite Michael and then that would have turned her into a full vampire or whatever. Like that was her test, which then she failed because she didn't actually do that. I don't know. There's also this, there's this random like 10 year old boy that's like kidnapped by the vampires. That was a weird little subplot. Yes. So I didn't know how much of like, is she being kind of forced into this that she doesn't want to be doing, Uh, which unfortunately being an eighties movie directed by Joel Schumacher, we're not doing much to get into the insight of our female characters. Correct. Which is, it is kind of a bummer, yeah. The one thing about the kid, it always bothers me for some reason. When we first see the kid, it looks like he's wearing a little confederate outfit. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Because we see his face on a milk box later. So, like, he clearly was taken recently. But why is he wearing, like, a gray confederate jacket <laughs> to add to the allure scott <laughs> vampires are hot don't you remember and what's hotter than vampires the civil war historians so combining those two right, passions for sure. that's what the people want hey m- might as well but uh while michael gets distracted by star sam goes off to the comic shop because he's a nerd Help us. we're gonna meet the frog brothers now <laughs> and we're gonna meet the frog brothers oh no one who is, of course, played by Corey Feldman. Yes. He was in The Goonies and Stand By Me. And uh, the year after this, we get our infamous like Feldman-Haim duo really starting up with a License to Drive. But yeah, the, they both met doing this movie, I believe. And then they started doing like a slew of duo films throughout the late 80s into like the mid-90s. Yeah, Corey Feldman... I I liked him fine. The only thing I thought was funny is that it seemed like he was clearly lowering his voice on purpose. Just be like, I am a cool vampire hunter. We're dedicated to a higher purpose. 
We're fighters for truth, justice, and the American way. But yeah, they, they meet these brothers and they're vampire hunters. And they give Sam a vampire-y comic book. And they're like, read this, man. It'll save your life. And <laughs> Sam's like, okay, strange boys. I'll take this comic book. Thank you. Well, the whole thing about the Frog Brothers is the Frog Brothers are full of shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they want to be cooler, but you're like, okay, you guys really have no fucking clue about anything you're guessing the whole time like you're just supposed to know like immediately watching them that these guys are idiots which that's why i kind of love that stupid voice that Corey feldman is doing because it does it is like we are pretending to be tough he's got the rambo headband he's got like this lowered voice and he's still just a little kid so i even if it is him just thinking this is a good choice to do uh, I'm choosing to look at it as he's purposefully doing a silly voice because the character thinks that makes him tough. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. While all this is going on, Diane Wiest is also meeting Max, the manager of a video store. Max is played by Edward Herman. He played Macaulay Culkin's dad in Richie Rich. I think that's all I know him from <laughs> before this. Right. I think Gilmore Girls is his big thing. Which I never really watched. I never but. did either. But I love Edward Herman. His it's he's such a weird, like little hipster look in this film. Like I don't know what I can't make heads or tails of this video store boss with his little suit and tie and hipster glasses. I like love it, and it's wild to me. That was weird, but Scotty, you were saying particularly Sam's costuming in this movie was a trip. <laughs> I feel like. Oh yeah, well Corey Haim shirts are like the most obnoxious shirts you could ever imagine they're all so colorful and so like hey i'm here look at me <laughs> yeah he is center of attention these shirts are three times too big they use every color of the rainbow and some colors that humans can't see uh, <laughs> his hair is spiked to the gods he's got his little earring he is a fashion statement in and of himself. So later on, I guess that week, Michael finds Star again and he's like, hey, let's go to dinner. And Kiefer's like, come on, <laughs> no, kid, <bitch. laughs> follow us. And they go and Michael punches Kiefer in the face because they get into a mini altercation. Yeah, they have this like motorcycle racing scene with this uh, <laughs> this song over it lost in the shadows i think it's called and it's it's sang by the fucking lead singer of foreigner which is so appropriate for this 80s ass movie i was like yes the specific song choices that joel schumacher makes very joel schumachery but yeah, I love, I, we're kind of playing, we're kind of riffing on um, James Dean with this sequence because they, he leads them to the cliffside and they stop like just in time before going over the edge. They kind of almost trick Jason Patrick to, to driving straight off and killing himself. Uh, it, understandably, Jason Patrick decks David in the face as I would if someone tried to trick me into almost driving off a cliff. Yeah, that's, that's fair, <laughs> I think. But, you know, punching David in the face, 
David's impressed by that. So he's like, you know what? Let's go to our vampire base. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm, I'm impressed by your sudden burst of violence. <laughs> Let's go down into our secret <laughs> cave and eat Chinese food or maggots. I don't know. You tell me which one. <laughs> I don't know. And then um, I'll have you drink my blood. And now you're going to be a vampire. Ooh, <laughs> the the whole transformation sequence comes very much off like a music video. Like they're fading in and out throughout the whole sequence over this like 80s song. And they're like on a fucking drug trip like no other. <laughs> well, don't forget they got to hang from the railroad tracks too during this. Oh, that was like the biggest example of peer pressure I've ever seen. Like, come on, man. Come on, hang down here. Why? <laughs> there were no questions as to why are we doing this. No, just like jump on down onto the fucking railroad tracks. That's a great idea. <laughs> it's so goofy, but it's so great. Yeah, because it's all foggy below. So you don't see where he drops into, which I thought was a fun little set piece where they're all hanging on because the train is going overhead. So it's getting harder and harder for them to hold on. But we don't get to see it because like as soon as Michael then is the last one to drop and when he drops, that's when he wakes up and it's the was this all a dream? Yeah, Michael starts sleeping in all day, waking up at like two or three in the afternoon. Diane Weiss is also like, hey, Michael, I need you to watch Sam because I need to go on a date tonight. I just want to go on a date with a nice man. So we cut to like that night where he's watching Sam and he's got to wear his sunglasses in, in the house. And he feels like he's being stalked by the, the vampire crew there. But then he looks out the window and it opens the door and nobody's there. It's, it's very much like the, falling through the fog and waking up in bed it's like what is real and what's not what the hell is happening the dog attacks him and bites him oh my god that freaked me right out yeah that whole sequence when sam's in the bath and the dog anook is like right beside him michael comes up and is like standing ever so creepily in the doorway and you think he's about to like do something not so great to his brother and then all of a sudden the dog just attacks i'm like yeah nanook is great nanook is actually probably the biggest hero of this movie agree because this isn't the first time he he's defends somebody and saves oh. somebody's life oh we'll get to it it's so good it's oh, so boy. good <laughs> but uh, eventually michael gets so frustrated with this whole thing he goes back to the cave the cave of wonders and he finds star and star is very vague which is why, like, some things that she does, I'm like, God damn, like, can you just tell him what the fuck is going on? You're, like, screwing with his head now. She's very vague about what's going on, and then all of a sudden just starts making out with him, and the next scene, we're going into another music video that's more like, you know, a, a sexy love ballad to distract him from his vampirism. He's like, let me just have sex with you, and just don't don't worry about it. It's fine. It, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Look, boobies. It's great. Everything's fine. So... <laughs> is that's 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 the next scene and what irritates me too is that after that they wake up the next morning and he just leaves he doesn't think like oh maybe i should like wake her up and be like so back to what we were talking about <laughs> before like what's happening to me no he just leaves so sam the next morning after sleeping with a thing of garlic around his neck decides hey i'm gonna tell the frog brothers my brother's a vampire and the frog brothers like kill him <laughs> yeah, just murder your brother. And he's like, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. 
But then as they're talking, he gets suspicious of Max because he's like, well, you know, his dog's kind of an asshole. And, uh, you know, I've only seen him at night. You know, just other like little things that maybe make him suspicious. So like maybe Max is the bad guy. Well, he's coming to dinner with my mom. So let's use, uh, you know, my mom's date with this guy as a way to suss out whether or not he's a vampire and completely humiliate. I felt so bad for Diane Weist in this movie because the first time she goes out with Max, she literally runs out in the middle of the day (laughs) thinking that her children were being murdered. And then she has him over for dinner. And in her mind, these snot-nosed kids, two of which she doesn't even know, are just, like, completely humiliating her in front of this, like, perfectly nice, lovely businessman that she's trying to bag. And it's like, damn, she can't catch a break. (laughs) Yeah. You don't know these frog, these frog brothers, these literal frog brothers. (laughs) get them at they're spilling they're putting all this garlic on his food they're turning off the lights and flicking them back on and trying to get a mirror in his face these kids oh i where are their mothers <laughs> but uh, um one particular thing that i wanted to mention before we move on is on the date at lucy's house max is standing outside and she he meets michael for the first time and he's like well you're the man of the house i won't come in until you invite me in and as soon as he said that i was like oh no he's a vampire and i look at scott and he's like he didn't say no so i was like oh shit (laughs) no diane least (laughs) well the thing is we're bouncing around a little bit. The scene right before the dinner, like it looks like he gets attacked by the vampires. Right, right. Because he. Oh yeah, I thought he was gonna die. I was like, oh man, the last thing he's gonna think is that Diane Weist ran out on his date. That sucks. <laughs> the first scene where you meet Edward Herman, where you meet Max, where David and all the vampires are coming into the video store, and Edward Herman, Max is like, "I told you not to come in here anymore," and it can just read as like with the security guard, hey, you guys aren't welcome on the beach. But then it's like, oh, it's because you're the head vampire. And it's like, this is my legitimate business. I don't need to mix that with the vampire stuff. So you got to keep out of here. When you realize it's him, like giving them an order is a fun little dynamic that I do wish we got a bit more of opposed to really only seeing him as the head vampire once all the other vampires are dead. Because I like that. I know I'm jumping ahead a bit the twist of this like very Peter Panish we needed a mother for the boys like I wanted you Diane Weist because the boys need a mother uh I'd love if we got that whilst we still had some of the boys yeah that would have been interesting I also again jumping ahead when Kiefer is killed he like touches Kiefer's face I I wanted a little more emotion there like he touches his face and then immediately goes and like turns and is like ah I'm evil but like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, so now it's where uh, Star comes to see yes. Michael. Right? They kind of argue, but he still clearly feels bad for her. Um, I, I think this is another aspect of the movie, at least like like we were saying earlier, I feel like Star, her perspective kind of stuck in this vampire crew trying to resist going all the way to the dark side. I feel like that deserved a little bit more time but I mean, you know, like we were saying earlier, there's a lot of people, a lot of things to cover. So some things fell to the wayside. But she is upset and then leaves. And <laughs> Sam gives a good line that I, I chuckle at. He just like calls out the window <laughs> and he's like, don't kill anybody till we get back to you. 
<laughs> okay, cool. I enjoyed the little bits of humor in this film. Oh, same. Yeah. Michael finally does see David and the crew turn full vampire and kill a bunch of people. And I have to say, I still think their makeup looks pretty damn good. Yeah. And also, as we said before, this is the most gruesome part of the movie. Yeah. It's the head bite. The head bite. Where I'm like, why are you trying to go through the head? It's like you're trying to eat a watermelon by just like biting into it. And that seems like you're not... I don't understand what the intention is with biting this guy's noggin. And I, I don't know... I don't know what Keeper Sutherland is doing. I, I did like the part of that whole sequence where you see Michael really resisting the urge to just attack these people. You saw a little bit of it when he was going to the bathroom after Sam, but that was just like a little taste of it. Now you see all of these crazy vampires attacking this group of people and you see like that darkness in Michael coming out, but then him just desperately trying to push it back in. I felt like that was acted really well. It's it's probably Jason Patrick's highlight of the movie, to be honest. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I feel like the later fight, the like showdown between him and David is also a highlight, but just on like the campiness, cheesiness uh, scale. I feel like that's a different scale though than than this moment. So yeah, we cut to the next day where they're like, okay. We're going to get the Frog Brothers, we're going to go to the vampire base, and we're going to figure out who to stab in the heart. Are they going to the Cave of Wonders, Scotty? (laughs) (laughs) This was a terrible plan, by the way. It was an awful plan. Key, the Frog Brothers are clueless. The whole, you know, band of misfits go to this cave, and firstly... Michael's first and only really intention and the only thing he does in this whole thing is take Star and the little boy out of the cave to like take them somewhere safe but it's just immediately like okay you're gonna take them out and what take them home with you and then what like they're just gonna come after you it just seems like an unwise mode of action but that's just one (laughs) that's just one of the many problems here then the you know three stooges the frog brothers and sam they go off onto some other uh part part of the cave of wonders and you see all the vampires hanging upside down because you know <laughs> they're bats because vampires it's funny bats it's giant coffin man the whole cave's a coffin oh my god it's like okay we get it but yeah and then they just decide to like play russian roulette essentially the goal is to find the head vampire and kill it because if that happens, then everyone that the head vampire has uh, fucked with that isn't a full vampire yet will be cured automatically. So we're like, okay, cool. So I don't know. They just go eeny, meeny, miny, mo, And for some reason, they pick Alex Winter, which is not, I mean, he's probably the youngest out of all of them. Why would you pick him? <laughs> yeah, nothing against Alex Winter. But if you're looking at this quartet, no one is thinking Alex Winter is the head vampire. Right. It's just so silly. If not Kiefer, you've got the other two, both, the one with the darker hair, this amazing mane of hair. I'm like, he's the leader of something. It might just be a hair club. We have to go by the amount of hair. (laughs) That's the way we judge things in the 80s. How much hair? Right. The problem is, I would assume that there was coffins as well. Not that they'd be hanging up in the air, like 20 feet up in the sky. But the problem is they needed more ladders. They need to reach all of these guys at once. The plan works great because they 
stake Alex Winter and he is done. Yes. But if they just staked all of them at once, they'd have been golden. Right. The problem is they're just going one at a time. Apparently that's the alarm clock by staking Alex Winter because that is what wakes everyone else up. Right. Uh, and then they're screwed because then they just have a bunch of awake, angry, hungry vampires opposed to snoozing vampires that was much easier to kill. So they forgot the ladders. Once again, Frog Brothers are completely unprepared and failures at what they do. And clearly, under normal circumstances, if this was happening in real life, there's no way that they're making it out of that little cave against, you know, three pissed off, you know, waking out of their slumber vampires. But because of the editing in the movie, it just becomes like complete chaos. And then before you know it, the three stooges are like halfway out the cave and they're only dealing with Kiefer Sutherland trying to chase after them. It's just complete chaos. And then of course they get away. It was even funnier because as we're watching this, Frankie goes, they're being so loud. Oh my God. They're talking at full volume while they're sleeping. That too pissed me off in the cave. They're talking like, Oh look, they're up there. They're hanging upside down. They're caught in the whole cave. Just yelling. I'm like, stop yelling. Pretend that they're real people sleeping. Like, shut the fuck up. Whisper. But no, we can't do that because we're just not smart, I guess. Well, we also get <laughs> probably one of the most iconic lines of uh, fucking Kiefer Sutherland going, You're dead meat! <laughs> <laughs> oh my yes. god. Madness. Oh, I love when his like hand touches the sunlight and it like yes. catches on fire and they cut to him and he's just got one tear rolling down his cheek. <laughs> It's so dramatic. So dramatic. It's such good oh music God. video acting, and I was here for it. The Joel Schumacher vibe. I mean, it is so very specific and hard to articulate, but it's there and it's there in spades. I think this was honestly Schumacher's time. This was like, of seeing little bits throughout his career, it's like this was the time period that was meant for Schumacher. Was this music video style? editing and this where everything is so heightened uh and campy and homoerotic is like right there under the surface between david and michael between sexy saxophone guy i think this is like it's so much sense to have joel schumacher make this movie and i think what works about it is because of that schumacher touch yeah oh a hundred percent which if you think about it is if you have that sentiment in mind, it makes complete sense why you would want him to direct Fan of the Opera. Because Fan of the Opera, logically, <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense, <laughs> but it relies on like just the sexy sexiness to get you through. Like right, when I first, right. I lived in New York my whole life and never saw Fan of the Opera on Broadway. But I've just heard stories about it. And then I I was like, oh, you know, whatever. It's fan. Everybody knows fan. It's fine. Whatever. But then I watched um, like some anniversary recording of it with like Sierra Burgess. And oh, God, I can't remember the other guys' names. But they were great. The, the recording of it is fantastic. And it like sucked me in so much. And I'm like, why am I feeling like, why do I love Phantom now? <laughs> like, this is so weird. And that's what it so it makes sense why Joel Schumacher would be tapped to direct it but there's just so many other things wrong with that movie i mean we'll be here all day but oh yeah yeah oof it's oof and then this is where the movie turns into home alone yes oh my god yeah they go back to the house 
And they're like, okay, well, that didn't work out totally. So we need a plan B because they're going to come after us now when it gets dark. So plan B equals home alone, but with vampires. They put a bunch of garlic in a bathtub. They fucking like take a bunch of the antlers from grandpa's fucking (laughs) taxidermy and just like stick them up in the middle of the room. Traps everywhere. One of the best random scenes in this entire movie is Sam and the Frog Brothers going into the church yes, during, the yes. <laughs> during a random christening <laughs> and stealing holy water. That was so weird. Yeah, they, they, they dumped the holy water into a bathtub, fill it with garlic, fill their super soakers, and then right before the attack, Sam goes, oh no, I left the dog outside. God? Damn it, Sam. This was a brotherly moment, though, that I appreciated because Sam runs out to go get the dog, and then they all realize what he's doing. And Michael, like, literally runs down the stairs without even thinking, just like bolts out the door and runs to go and help him get the dog and grab his brother. I was like, oh, that was a nice brotherly moment. He's like, I want to see my brother. I just wish there was more of those kind of moments, really. But, you know, the, the, the evil is coming, obviously. The bad guys are coming, and shit is about to get very, very dramatic and very, very real. Yeah, so, so the first vampire breaks into where the Frog Brothers are because he's like, you fuckers killed Alex Winter. How dare you? I'm going to kill you. And they show him the bathtub full of garlic he goes garlic doesn't actually work you idiots and they splash him a little bit and he's like ow that hurt you motherfuckers and he's still gonna kill him but then the nook knocks him into the bathtub because the dog Uh, needs to save the day a triumphant shot of this dog like roundhouse kicking this vampire into the bathtub oh i love it so much excellent stuff which then leads to like fucking evil dead bloodbath oh yes well every death from here on out is just as dramatic as humanly possible so the fucking vampire is literally just melting before our eyes and all of the pipes in the bathroom are exploding with blood it's like the fucking shining in here and everything just all rolled into one the next vampire gets shot with a holy water tipped arrow into an electrified oh my stereo. God. I gotta go. <laughs> I gotta go. And then fucking Sam oh. goes, what? What does he say? Death De- by stereo? Fucking kill me. Death by oh stereo. God. Yeah. This movie is firmly planted in the 80s. It's so good. I love it. Finally, we get the showdown. David versus Michael. It's the showdown of the ages. There was one particular line, like the showdown line, that was supposed to come off really like intense, but just made me laugh. <laughs> I felt bad because, like, they're at this point, they're they're doing their damnedest. Kiefer Sutherland goes, "Oh, you can't help yourself, Michael." I'm paraphrasing. Oh, my blood is running through your veins, and then Michael just goes like, "But so is mine," and then they go thrashing each other around the whole room. And I'm like, I have to go. <laughs> to go to sleep this is too much the cheese it's overwhelming me oh yeah 
it, it was very cheesy. That it was really that's like a line that should be in like a King Arthur movie. It's like my blood is in your veins, but so is mine. Yes, uh, it's bananas. It's so. Oh my gosh! I mean, it is all. like so wonderfully homoerotic. I love every time that Kiefer Sutherland says Michael. Like you don't have to. You yes. don't have to beat me, Michael. <laughs> you just have to keep up, Michael. Uh, and it goes into this final fight. Like mm-hmm. I adore it. I'm into how bonkers mono mono this is uh and is, is a delight and then he just gets so quickly stabbed onto all these antlers and is just dead a little let down after the very over-the-top mm-hmm. kills that we just saw in the bathtub and into the stereo was, yeah keeper sutherland is a pretty pretty tame death comparatively well then you get the angelic you know children's choir and oh the light God, on kiefer's face i can't do it <laughs> All the little children are singing. Oh, shall not fall. I, I can't do it. I have to go. Oh, we get it. It's so sad. The youth of America is just, oh, we are so sad. They're wasting away. We are the world. We are the children. They're rebellious. The rebellion. Um, but then we get Max coming in with Diane Waste, and Diane Waste is like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> what happened to my house? Oh, oh man! Gosh. But yeah, oh, and there's another good brother moment there too because he is like Michael's like full on vampire, full on prosthetics, and he's like hiding in the shadows. And he tells Star, "Don't let my brother see me like this." And I was like, "Oh, honey, Aww. I felt so bad." Uh that's why because yeah. the brother moments that are here are so good. That's why I want more, I guess. But yeah, so Diane Weiss comes in with Max, and we obviously get our you know M Night Shyamalan twists of the movie that <laughs> Max is bad guy, and <laughs> it just yeah, it gets gross. I felt like at, at one point in this end piece with them, I felt like I was watching the that decom of my mom's got a date with a vampire. <laughs> It's just like, come with me, Diane Weiss, to come and be my my woman, my vampire queen. I was like, oh my god, this has to end, please. Like, I can't. It's but, too much cheese. But then we get the grandpa's horn, <laughs> and the grandpa comes ramming into his house, runs over Max with the stake into the fireplace. Max blows up, and the grandpa gets out of the car. Walks over to the fridge, grabs his root beer, and he goes, One thing about living in Santa Carla, I never could stomach. All the damn vampires. And that's the end of that's our movie. The end. <laughs> uh, and of course, you know, Michael and uh, Star and Little Boy are cured, and everything's back to normal. But, like, I can't imagine the aftermath of this is just going to be like hunky dory. Because one thing, Grandpa's house is destroyed. This little kid has been missing for God knows how long. Like, how are we returning this kid? Like, oh, he's fine now. Everything's fine. Don't worry about what's been going on with him for the past few months. He's fine. Well, thankfully, his picture is still on the milk carton. We get that brief cutaway. So I assume it's got to be pretty recent. Is it only the half vampires that then get cured? Which leads me to believe that this little kid hasn't bitten anyone yet. So they, this, though I believe this apparently, according to the internet, this little boy's character's name is Laddie, which doesn't help me think that Laddie is not actually a little dead Civil War boy (laughs) with his jacket and his name that no... When's the last time someone was named Laddie? <laughs> like a little Scottish yeah, boy. <laughs> there you go. He's a little Scot. Um, yeah, oh but I, I, I assume they'll... We just don't need this character. It's like, you don't, you don't really need the grandpa. You definitely don't need this 10-year-old yeah, okay. boy. 
unless it's like Star's young, that makes sense. If it's Star's like younger brother, you're like, well, that's why Star has to stay with the vampires because they right. have her little brother hostage or whatever. That would make sense, yeah. But even if you cut Star and Laddie out and just had Michael was intoxicated with Kiefer Sutherland and like his you lifestyle, can keep, you can keep Star, but I mean, you can get rid of the grandpa and you can get rid of uh, the little boy. I think that might have helped air things out a little bit as far as the cast it might have been a little over bloated or honestly give us a little more time this movie's like 90 minutes i could stand just another like 10 15 just to give a little more breathing room for the grandpa for whoever this little kid is this movie moves like a train i was never bored for a moment of this film so i would have loved a little bit more maybe i've not done any research maybe there's some kind of director's cut or some kind of situation maybe well, I did want to mention one interesting thing about Grandpa, because it's about the only like genuinely interesting thing that I did research on regarding his character. Apparently, there is a theory that he is actually a half vampire and his root beer is actually like animal blood because he does all the taxidermy stuff around the house. So he just oh. he stays off to the side because he doesn't go into town. He makes a point of saying that earlier. He doesn't go into town. Cause that's where the vampires are. He stays off to the side and he just like, t- you know, does his taxidermy survives off animal blood and has never killed anybody. And he just lives his life. And like, it's an interesting theory. It, it definitely tracks. I feel like, but I don't know. It, that would have been interesting if they addressed yeah. it, but why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the movie's such a runaway hit. They're like, how do we move forward with this? A sequel, a prequel, a spinoff. And that's what we get. A prequel. Grandpa begins. <laughs> Grandpa's What's the journey. story on this? <laughs> Vamp- vampire, vampire grandpa. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It turns out that him and Max were like connected back in the day. And- vampa. Like grandpa, <laughs> oh but grandpa vampa. and vampire. Vampy Grampy. This is a movie here. There's something here. <laughs> Oh my god, I love it so much. I mean, it, it fits with the cartoony vibe of this movie. Yeah. Oh, it is very cartoony. But as we said, that is Lost Boys. Yay! So, Jeff, we usually rate movies out of five stars because Leatherbox only gives us five stars to rate things. So out of five stars, what would you rate this movie? Well... There are two ways, in my opinion, to rate a movie. You could rate a movie for what the film is, in which case I'd probably give this like a solid three out of five, maybe 3.5. But the other way that I rate movies is really just the enjoyability. So it's less is this movie, quote unquote, capital G, good or great, and more of do you have a fun time watching it? And in that regard, I'm giving this a solid four out of five. Because uh, I could easily rewatch this movie again tonight. It's so silly. As you were saying, Frankie, so much cheese. Uh, but sometimes, sometimes when you're like, you know, I'm trying to eat well, I'm trying to eat healthy, but sometimes I want my meal, I want to have it to be about two thirds cheese. Uh, and sometimes that's how I like my movies too. So there you go. <laughs> depending on how you rate it, either a three out of five or a four out of five. I think that's actually very fair. I also on letterbox i gave it a three and a half out of five i feel like i had a good time with this i enjoyed the musical choices i enjoyed the abundance of cheese the joel schumacher specific brand of cheese but yeah if i had to give it a elevated score for kind of rewatchability 
kind of turn your brain off and just enjoy. I'd, I'd bump it up a little bit to like maybe a four. But as an overall cinematic experience, three and a half out of five. Just because I kind of wish in certain spots there was more zhuzh, maybe. So I've watched this movie a lot. It might be one of the first vampire movies I ever saw. Oh, wow. Back in the day. But yeah, I've watched this movie probably 20, 25 times over my lifetime. And it's just a fun movie. I've revisited it a bunch. I never really get sick of anything. It The choices are fun. It, it gives us the first experience of the two Corys together. It just It's a good time had by all and i have it as a four out of five and i i just have a good fucking time with this movie that's fair <laughs> yeah all righty well i want to thank jeff ronan from and almost starring for joining us once again jeff let me uh, let us know let the people know where we can find you when your episodes come out just give us another little run around of uh of your guys' bag, you and Amy Joe. Absolutely. And first off, thank you guys so much for having me on and to chat about this. This was really so fun to rewatch. Uh, and I feel like, Scott, you'll especially be happy to know that we're having, uh, like, we, we try to do, especially for the big holidays, like, have friends over to, we'll screen, I'll curate, like, a screening of, like, especially for, like, Christmas and for Halloween of a specific number of horror films. Uh, and we're definitely doing Lost Boys yes. for our little screening marathon for it in a few weeks when we have some friends over. Because this is a great group watch film. Yeah. As for my podcast, me and my partner, Amy Jo Jackson, uh, we are and almost starring. Our episodes drop on Tuesdays. We uh, are at the end of this month. We'll have hit our 100th episode. So we have a huge eclectic group of films that we have covered and dissected all of the actors who could have been in everything from you know Arnold Schwarzenegger in Beetlejuice and Jurassic Park Charlton Heston and Clint Eastwood both could have been Superman uh we've done everything from Clueless and Enchanted to Godfather and Cabaret your classics your garbage like Catwoman and Supergirl uh your 90s faves all kinds of films and it's a really fun, uh, fun time. So check us out. We are, you can find us, uh, we're most active on Instagram at and almost starring. And uh, yeah, yeah, come check us out. We're having a fun, we have a fun little time on our show and almost starring. And uh, I cannot believe that we were almost at 100 episodes. So check us out and come celebrate. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. And you can probably listen to us wherever you're listening to this episode right now. There you go. <laughs> I love your guys' energy. I love your guys' show. So please check them out. They are just amazing and so fun and sweet. And I, I look forward to meeting Amy Joe next time you come on our show. Yes, next time. Next time. So next week, I'm showing Scott another horror movie, The Last of Spoopy Month. It's going to be a little more intense than this movie, if you can believe that. <laughs> but until then, this has been Shoot the flick i'm frankie sparks i'm scott eisenberg i'm jeff ronan uh make sure you check us out on instagram and twitter at shoot the flick and check out our weekly episodes every single wednesday on itunes spotify google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast and make sure you come back next week for our rock and rolling super fly movie adventure Cry, little sister.